reading from the book of Psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will be receiving the blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. God of Jacob, the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Paul Sorensen. I'm the lead pastor here at the DI Fellowship, and it's a joy to see you this morning. If you would, I'm going to say one more word of prayer before we hear from God's word, so please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's good to have you here. Um, I'm glad you woke up. I even had staff members say to me, we almost didn't come because it was so cold and it was so cozy, but you guys get a special smiley face for coming to the 9 a.m. I'm glad you're here. Um, This month, we're working our way through the values of our church. And uh, last week, we spoke about being a people who gather together. And if you missed that, uh, we invite you to go back and listen to that on our website under the worship page. We're people that gather together. This week, we're going to be looking at this, this value of giving together. We're a people who give together. And we're going to look at the why behind why we give and, and where that comes from in the Bible. My goal this morning is simple. It's to inform and inspire everyone here. Uh, I know when we uh, talk about this principle or value of giving, some people, the, the hairs on their neck stand up. And my hope is that you actually leave with uh, greater knowledge for your sake and for your family's sake of where all of this comes from. And uh, you leave with a sense of joy and peace and next steps. Uh, to begin uh, looking at this value of, of giving together, I want to uh, ask this question. How are you at celebrating others? How are you at celebrating others? When I think of celebrating others, there's one person I think of, and it's my wife. She gives, and then she gives, and then she gives. Specifically, this time of year, she gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. Uh, We come out of December. December's a big month for us being in ministry, but also because it's the season of Christmas. And we have three kids, and then we have different sets of parents and grandparents And she carefully buys presents, thoughtful presents, for all involved. And then uh, we roll those out. We roll out our Christmas Eve services. And and then January hits, and the new semester hits. She teaches fourth grade. That's a a labor of love, right, teachers? Uh, You're so servant-hearted. She's serving these fourth graders. And then our oldest son has a birthday in January. Our middle son then has a birthday in January. By the time February hits, she's about to fall over. And I'm like astonished with all she's accomplished. She gives and gives and gives. 
But here's the kicker. Guess whose birthday is February 3rd? My wife's. And so it's fitting that last week I went to her and said, Carly, how can we serve and celebrate you? And thank God I have a daughter who's a mini mama. And she's like, Dad, I got this. Follow my lead. She's, um, she's so cute. And, and I did. I was like, okay, sailor. And I listened to Carly. <clears throat> what she wanted last Sunday, seven days ago, was her birthday, my wife's birthday. So last Saturday, my mini mama, sailor, we went on a shopping spree. And we, we did all the things that Carly does. You see, in our house, birthdays are really celebrated. There's we're streamer parents, and we're confetti bomb parents. The whole house is taken over with, with all sorts of stuff. I know, right? Someone who's OCD, it's very hard for me. But uh, Carly wakes up, she puts streamers everywhere, she makes posters everywhere um, that rhyme. Like, it's amazing how much she celebrates our kids. And so Sailor's like, we gotta do that for mama, right? And so we bought these things, and. And, and we used our time and talent and treasure, if you will, to serve and celebrate Carly. Last Sunday, I was preaching, but I was awakened at four something in the morning. Why? Because Sailor had set her alarm to start streaming the house. And uh, at five, we heard her streaming our doors to these little streamers, and we heard a crash. She, she fell off the chair, setting up the streamers. By the time I got out there, she had decorated the whole house. She decorated the whole house for her mom, right? Made all these posters. And then we, we took it up a level. We made uh, these homemade cinnamon rolls and, uh, and coffee. And so we, we woke Carly up, and she was coming down the stairs. And of course, we had whistles, and we introduced an air horn last week. This is all before church. You see, we wanted to serve and celebrate her offering our best first, right? So by the time 7.30 hit, we had already had this huge party, and then it was church. You know, it was time, time for worship. And that's a picture, I think, of what we see behind giving from a biblical perspective. And we're going to unpack that this morning. You see, I think the big idea behind this value of giving together is this. As a people, we are called to give together, offering God our best first. As a people, we are called to give together, offering God our best first. Specifically this morning, we're going to unpack this and see that giving demonstrates God's sovereignty in our life. Giving demonstrates God's grace in our life. And giving demonstrates God's love in our life. So let's dive in. Point number one, giving demonstrates God's sovereignty in our lives. I think to begin looking at this topic of giving, we need to understand the scope of generosity uh, in the Bible. God, from the very beginning, is described as powerful and good. We read this morning from the Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. We read in the early pages of Genesis this 
creation account where we are made, we're crafted into the image of God, where God says, I care for you and I want to share this power and this goodness with you. And the imagery is one of a garden. It's beautiful. And as Kenneth, is Kenneth in the room? I don't know if he's in the room. Kenneth just finished the Masters in Old Testament. He preached on this uh, last year where there's actually mountain imagery here. So the idea is the garden, you go up to the mountain for the presence of God. We're called to be in communion with a life-giving, powerful, good God. And uh, here's the thing. It's, it's a really good picture. The problem is man is not so good. And that's kind of the theme we see in the Bible. And honestly, if you turn on the news, you see, okay, the world's not it was as it was created to be. The problem is, uh, we read in Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And specifically, what this is saying is there's a gap between God and us, between his goodness and us. In Isaiah, we read, we all like sheep, we go astray, we turn to our own ways. We essentially say, we know better. And we're going to go our own way, do our own thing, say say what we want to say. And so in the Old Testament, this is where it gets meaty and good, ready? In the Old Testament, in God's goodness, he created a solution. He created a sacrificial system to care for his people. So this principle of giving is founded first in God saying, I'm good to you, I want to share with you. And because you're not responding in goodness back to me, I don't want to just wipe you out. I want to cover you and care for you and protect you even when you fall astray. And so he created this sacrificial system. And so I know if you just pop open the Bible in the Old Testament and you read about these blood sacrifices, you're like, this is gory and gross, right? Well, the idea behind the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was that blood wasn't meant to take life, it was actually meant to save lives. In Leviticus chapter 17, we read these words, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It's the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Specifically, from early on in the scriptures, God calls his people to give him their best first. And the idea here is God would say, bring me your firstborn of your flock. Bring me the firstborn of your fruit or your harvest. And that firstborn, that tithe would then be a sacrifice. It would be a substitute and cover over and redeem the rest of what you're left with. And so it was out of mercy and goodness God created the system to cover his people. So they wouldn't have to pay for their sins, frankly. And we read, for instance, in Exodus 13, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. So God's saying, your firstborn son, set him aside to lead for me, to serve for me. With the lamb or the bull, set him aside to redeem the rest for you and for me. And then even in the language of harvest, a tithe, which is a Hebrew word for 10%, a tithe of everything from the land 
whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to me, it's holy to the Lord. And then to take it a step further, God gives specific instructions on when and even where to give. Now pay attention. Exodus chapter 23. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil, where? To the house of the Lord your God. Are you catching that? So the, the idea here is, Israel, bring the first of your first fruits, the first of your income, be it if you're a farmer, the first of your grain. If you're, if you're someone who's a shepherd, the first of your flock, bring them to me and set them aside for me and my house. And this wasn't once a year, it was an, on an ongoing basis. And, and it, it even gets stronger in language. God even issues warnings to his people about their giving or lack thereof. Listen to these words from Malachi. Will man rob me, yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. God's saying, hey, we covenant together if you trust and obey me, all will go well. I'm with you, I'm for you until you turn your own way. And then, good luck, right? And, uh, but if you use your resource to trust and obey, it's essentially a test, and I will care for you, and I will go with you and with your family. And the family after, you know, and on generation, generational covenantal promises. You see, giving according to biblical principles aligns us with the reality that we're not God. That's the point we see here in the sacrificial system, and he is. It's acknowledgement that we're not God, he is, and he, he's powerful and good and cares for us. So point number one, giving demonstrates God's sovereignty in his life. He's Lord, I'm not. And I bring the first of my first fruits to him and to his house. And then point number two, it demonstrates God's grace in our lives. So all the thread of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament points towards the greatest sacrifice ever that we see in the New Testament, which is Jesus Christ. There's sacrificial language here, bridging the Old Testament from the New Testament. When Jesus was baptized, John the Baptist said these words, the next day I saw Jesus coming, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the firstborn, the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's why the Apostle Paul later says in 2 Corinthians, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, what? That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus himself would say, I've not come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law. Jesus is the firstborn, the first fruit 
given for you and me. Why? Because God loves us and cares for us. And he covers us. And once we understand that there are no limits to God's love, it changes everything. Um, For those who've been with us for a while, uh, you've heard the story of my engagement to Carly, but I want to share it again. It speaks to the grace of giving that's impacted my life. You see, I met my wife here on this campus. Uh, I'm going to date myself. It was the 90s. This is Wheaton College, where I did my undergraduate studies. We met as undergrads here in Chicago. And actually, I'm going to point, we we met in this little quad right in the middle. Uh, People would hang out here between classes, and, and we'd go pray in a little chapel over there, and and life was good. We, I was a junior, she was a senior when we started dating, and, and I had kind of gotten bored and really discouraged from dating, so I only wanted to date, a, date, honestly, with a view towards marriage. I left home, as some of you know, at 13. I was a boarding school kid. And um, dating for dating's sake didn't make any sense for me. She was a senior, I was a junior, dating for two months, and then she tells me, hey, Paul, I... I just want to share a secret with you. I think I'm going to go be a missionary in South America after I graduate. And I said, oh, really? And uh, she said, yeah, um, so that probably means I'm going to be going away for three or four years. And I said, well, oh, really? Right? I'm thinking, I can't wait three or four years. I know God's good and all, but. So I actually went into this moment and season of, of prayer and actually seeking wise counsel. And I came to the conclusion that my life would be better with her by my side. And so two and a half months into our dating relationship, I was convinced that I was going to ask for her hand in marriage. Um, I was 20 years old at the time. I know, crazy, right? And uh, my aunt would go to estate sales in Chicago, and, and she'd find nice jewelry. And I called my aunt Sherry, and I said, Sherry, uh, I'm, I feel led to marry this, this girl. She's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Would you help me find a ring? She said, I'll be on the lookout for a ring. I was like, okay, great. So she found me this ring. She calls me. I'm really excited, Paul. We found this ring. She tells me all about it. There's clarity, blah, blah, blah. I don't know all that stuff. She's like, it's a nice ring. I was like, great, what's the cost? And she shared the cost, and my heart dropped because there's no way I could afford this ring. And I said, Sherry, I'm out of my league here. I'm sorry. Like, I can't afford this ring. And she's like, oh, it's perfect. I'm so sorry, too. <sighs> Later that night, for the first time in my life, I got a call from my grandfather. First time. Last time. We called him Duda. Anyone have a Duda? We called him Duda. His real name was Dale. And he says to me, he was a tough guy, but in this moment he was a tender guy, and he said to me, Paul, I've heard about this gal. Tell me about her. So I told him about Carly. And he goes, we want to help you buy this ring. My, your grandmother and I want to help you buy this ring, and we want to secure this ring, and we want to secure this relationship for you. And their generosity changed the trajectory of my life and our lives. And so together we bought this ring, and I married my bride. 
And I found in that moment, I didn't just want to receive his grace. I wanted to repeat it. Like, I wanted to be like Duda someday, changing the trajectory of people's lives through kind of radical generosity. And that's the point. Giving not only invites us to say, God, you're sovereign, but God, you're good, and your grace is sufficient for me. And then it leads to point number three. Giving demonstrates God's love in our lives. Uh, Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount, even non-Christians would say this is one of the best teachings in the history of the world. One of the things he says is this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying is very straightforward. Let eternity grab your mind and let love guide your money. How? Not by investing in things, but investing in people, a heavenly people. Don't invest in things, invest in things that are eternal or those who are eternal people. As I was looking at this last point about giving, demonstrating God's love in our lives and how Jesus is like saying, let love guide your money. Not fear, well, we have enough. Not greed, it's never enough. Steve and Kim Kramer, I invited them. I don't think they're in the service, so I can share. Um, I invited them to share about their own story as it relates to generosity. And it was about a year ago that they stood up here, and Steve, to my surprise, said, I was a failure as a young man. He's an entrepreneur. He says, I was a failure as a young man, as a husband, as a businessman. In fact, right on the verge of bankruptcy, I had no idea how to steward my resources. And there was a gentleman in our church that came alongside a couple in our church, an older couple that came alongside my wife and I and just started to disciple us and mentor us and walk with us. And the reason Kim and I, I think Steve's in his mid-50s, the reason Kim and I are so excited to be a part of the Daniel Island Fellowship is we get to play that role now for the next generation. We get to see our kingdom investment pouring into these little kids up front. And it's so exciting for us. It's an amazing testimony. The late Charles Spurgeon would say it like this, In all of my years of service to my Lord, I've discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibility that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I give, than I gave. That's why in kind of in parallel or consistency with the Old Testament, Paul would later write to the church in Corinth, on the first day of your week, each one of you should set aside of some of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. He would later say, since you excel in everything, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You see, giving demonstrates God's love in our lives. So to conclude, we're called to be a people who give together, offering God our best 
first. Our giving demonstrates God's sovereignty in our life, his grace touching our lives, and his love flowing through our lives. And that's one of our core values. We, we want to be a people of radical generosity, not just for our sake, but for our city's sake and our world's sake. For those who are on social media, I'm delighted to share that yesterday we were the primary sponsor in the, I think, the leading reconcili- racial reconciliation conference our city holds. The Daniel Island, this little church, the primary sponsor for saying how do we bring Um, how do we kind of break down those walls of hostility and bring lasting relationship for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of our city? So for those who call our church home, I just want to ask a reflective question, and then I'll share an ending story. As you look at your bank account every month, could you say with a sincere heart that my giving reflects God's sovereignty in my life, his grace in my life, his grace in my life, and his love in my life. I just want us to reflect on that. And to close, I want to share this story. Uh, In the Bible, there's a story of Jesus being at the temple with his disciples, and this, this widow comes forward. People are coming forward, wealthy people are coming forward and, and giving their tithes and their offerings. And this widow comes forward, and she drops in what's described as little copper uh, coins, only worth a few cents. It's a little widow. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says about that widow, he says, that little widow has given more than anybody else. Because those others, they gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty and she gave everything she had to live on. She gave more than everyone else. And the point is this. God is acutely aware of your situation. And it's not about how much like, you do for God, but how much God has done for you and how that's reflected in your life. It's not about how much you're bringing to God. It does say bring a proportion, a tithe, and all that. But ultimately, the heart of it is how much God has done for you and how that impacts you. And Jesus doesn't lift up a king. He lifts up a widow. He says she gave her all and her everything for God and his house. So God knows exactly where each one of you are at in your faith journey. That's That's how particular scripture is and personal God is. And I invite all of us to pray about what is my next step. If you're part of this community, this is one of our values. It's going to be talked about. High invitation, high challenge according to God's word. What's my next step in faithfully living according to the principle of giving? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search us and you would know us. And we would just understand and grasp and delight in how you are sovereign, how you are grace-filled and and, and you're good to us and, and God, may our lives reflect our trust in you. May we offer our best first. May we have open dialogue that's not threatening but honest with, with you and one another. Move us along, grow us up. Thank you for you in Jesus' name. Amen.